Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. We continue our study in the Old Testament book of Sirach and we're looking today at wisdom in creation. And we're going back to the book of Sirach because it was very effectively used in the early church, I mean the very early Catholic church, to make faithful disciples out of pagan converts. And it was so widely used, it earned the nickname the church book or Ecclesiasticus. And there are 73 books in the canon of Scripture in the Catholic Bible, and yet only one has that nickname, the church book, because it was so widely used and appreciated. And today, one of the goals of this series in Sirach is to try to recapture this book, build appreciation for it, and urge you to read it. And today, particularly today, I don't think there's been another time like we're facing in our culture where the wisdom of Sirach is more desperately needed because people are abandoning the Christian faith in large numbers, especially youth. And Sirach was used in a pagan culture, a non-Christian empire, to make faithful disciples out of pagan converts. And if it has that ability to do it, this is something we need to capture in our spiritual formation in the 21st century. But today we're looking at wisdom. Wisdom, this is, Sirach is one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament, like Proverbs, like the wisdom of Solomon, and the wisdom of Sirach. These are books that provide wisdom, particularly for daily living. And let's start with the first chapter of Sirach, chapter 1, and verses 8 and 9. There is one who is exceedingly wise, the king greatly to be feared, sitting upon his throne and ruling as God. Verse 9, the Lord himself created wisdom in the Holy Spirit. He saw her and apportioned her he poured out upon all his works. He poured her out upon all his works. In other words, the source of wisdom is from the sovereign creator Lord of the universe, and God has basically spread in a very pervasive fashion his wisdom in all that he has made. I have an interest in farming. Uh, laid dormant for quite a few years. I grew up on a farm, but I've written a book recently entitled Farming, Faith, and Family Life. Actually, it's a booklet, not a book. And one of the things I mention in the book is what I call intelligent design farming. You've probably never heard that described before, but intelligent design looks for the wisdom of God in the things that he has made. And it's very interesting that certain farmers who are practicing what sometimes is called regenerative agriculture, they are using God's creation and trying to analyze it along with their animals 
and try to practice farming in accordance with the way things are and in accordance with the way God has made them rather than just trying to force uh, their results by bringing in truckloads of chemicals and feeds and everything else because most farmers, unless you're on industrial scale, are going broke. And yet those farmers who are practicing what I call intelligent design farming are actually doing quite well. And it's a revolution in agriculture. And I'm just trying to use one example, one tiny example, but it affects us all because how we treat the land and animals and our food system affects our health. But I, I zero in on, on one intelligent design farmer by the name of Joel Salatin, very well-known, uh, outspoken for regenerative agriculture. And he says one of his witticisms is that we need to respect the pigness of the pig. In other words, in a pig, God has designed it to live such and such a way, to be fed in such and such a way. And if we follow that design, it's a lot easier. There's a lot less disease, a lot less calls for the veterinarian. And one of his witticisms is, is that the creator's design is still the best pattern for the biological world. Now, here's a section from the Catechism that you may never have heard anyone quote from, but it's section 338. And this is what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. Each creature possesses in its own particular goodness and perfection. Each of the various creatures, willed in its own being, reflects in its own way a ray of God's infinite wisdom and goodness. Man, therefore, must respect the particular goodness of every creature. That's from section 338 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I've just taken one slice of life in, in agriculture, looking at the way God has designed it, rather than trying to bring things in from the chemical factory or industrial agriculture to try to force a certain result, we just allow God's creation to work its miracle in front of our eyes. Now, I'm going to try to bring this home, though, in a rather dramatic fashion. I've told this story before, but this was a, is one of those times you have a wake-up call in your life. And this was my wake-up call to what has now become known as cultural apologetics. Parents need to hear this because most of the type of apologetic questions you hear in Catholic media and most of the discussions on Catholic media are asked by older adults. But it is not the questions that is at the forefront of the minds and hearts of youth and they need to have answers for these type of things. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I was at Patrick Madrid's youth apologetics camp. It was one of the bright spots on the horizon because you had uh, eager to learn great uh, Catholic youth from good families across the country coming to North Carolina to a camp up in the mountains, Blue Ridge Mountains, to learn apologetics. And Pat invited me to speak to this group, and I gave these young people the best apologetics that I, that I had, that I knew, 
Uh, it was from John 6, entitled The Second Most Important Passage in the Bible. And surprisingly, you have a lot of talks. I've done a lot of broadcasts, but I've never had quite the results from this talk that happened before I got to Pat's camp. Um, in fact, a priest who had been working with five evangelicals who were hammering him uh, while he was a seminarian painting houses in the summer, hammering him with questions and trying to get him to convert to an evangelical perspective. And he said at the end of the summer, hey, I've listened to you guys all summer. Can I have one hour of your attention? And he basically took this talk, a recording of this talk I did on John 6, the second most important passage in the Bible. Uh, he transcribed it and presented it to these five evangelicals, and all five became Catholics. One hour. Um, a major league baseball player had a very devout and pious Catholic wife who kept urging him to join RCIA. And so he decided he would do it, but really he secretly did it to lead those in the RCIA program away from the Catholic faith. And he was given a lot of the top apologetic tapes and talks and everything. This was a while back. Uh, you would know the names of a lot of the folks. But somebody gave the, him my talk on John 6. And lo and behold, he said he had to keep pulling off the road on a trip he was doing from Southern California to Nevada. It, it, and it just knocked him off his horse, and he converted and joined his wife in the Catholic Church. So I thought— this is the talk to give these. This is the best one that I've seen, and I didn't quite know why and everything. So I gave the talk to the young people at Pat Madrid's camp, and after the talk, I asked if there were any questions, and hands went up everywhere. And, of course, I thought, wow, they really did like that talk, just like the priest seminarian and the major league baseball player. They all have questions on this. And so I called on one young man. And his question was, how do we explain to our friends that homosexuality is wrong? And when he asked that question, every single hand went down. And there were hands all over the room. Everyone went down. This is, this is when you have the wake-up call, okay? Uh, all of these young people despite having great apologetics talks, uh, Pat Madrid had great people in to speak to them. They had this burning question. And it's a question, again, not the type of apologetics questions you normally hear on Catholic media. They were asking questions, and the term that at least I use for this is cultural apologetics or social apologetics. These are the questions going on. And I was rather surprised. I must say I was shocked when all the hands went down. And little did I know that uh, this question had come up the night before in the Q&A. And Pat said, well, Steve's coming tomorrow. You can ask him. So I took a deep breath and I told the young people that there isn't an easy answer to their question. And the reason there isn't an easy answer that someone who already believes homosexuality is okay, and this includes a majority of Catholics in the United States. So if somebody already believes homosexuality is okay, they have probably lost something 
fundamental to a proper understanding of this issue. In other words, something prior to thinking homosexual acts and homosexual marriage and all that type of thing is okay, something previous has been lost that makes them unable to be able to answer that question. And again, uh, this was, I was on my feet, but I said, we need to turn to the second half of St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 1. And in this second half of the chapter, St. Paul describes how a society descends into the practice and the acceptance of homosexual behavior. And Romans 1 is going to take us right back to what I just read to you in Sirach chapter 1, that God has poured out his wisdom on all creation. This is what St. Paul says. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. In other words, the truth is obvious and it has to be suppressed, and people are doing that. He goes on, for what can be known about God is plain to them. God's wisdom is everywhere because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Let me bring in another scripture right along with these verses from Romans chapter 1 from Psalm 19. And I'll try to give a little bit of inflection to my voice so you can see the words I have bolded in front of me from Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork. You see, looking at a sunset, looking at a beautiful mountain peak, it's not neutral. There's communication going on, obvious communication. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. What is the psalmist saying? In poetic fashion, the same thing that St. Paul is saying, the same thing that Sirach 1 is saying that God has displayed his grandeur, his infinite wisdom in all of the things that he has made. There's so many fascinating things in, in the real world that God has made that we can learn. And when we see how it all fits together, we, we should just end in doxology, that this is the, this is the normal approach. But what happens if that knowledge, which is so obvious, so plain, that it's declared every single day worldwide if it's suppressed. Well, I'm going to go on back to Romans 1, starting in verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
and the eventual result was the acceptance of homosexual behavior. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Sirach is about wisdom. Sirach 1.8 is about the creator, the king. Sirach 1.9, that this king, the creator king, poured out his wisdom on everything he has made. In Romans 1.22, it says they were claiming to be wise, and that's the same word used in the Greek Old Testament for wisdom, Sophia. Claiming to have Sophia, to have wisdom, they had to be educated in atheistic Darwinism, so to speak, that everything got here by its own apart from God. That is suppressing truth. And then they become fools instead of wise and embrace immoral behavior. I, I remember hearing one of my fellow hosts, Catholic media, saying, I just can't understand why young people can't get this. Well, God's design is obvious in the complementarity between the bodies of men and women. Yet, if you deny the basic design to the entire universe and the world you are in and all of the wonderful places you can go for vacation to the mountains or to the beach or the mountain streams or whatever, and you can't see the obvious in that, you can't see the obvious in yourself, and you're literally losing your rationality. So if you suppress and uh, and eliminate the creator's wisdom, then you lose the idea of divine design or divine wisdom in the human body. And things like LGBTQ, or now here's a new one I came across, the LGBTQQIAAP. Don't ask me what that is. There's no end to it. There's no end because you don't even have a belief that there is such a design that pervades everything, including our bodies, including our families, including our political structures, including our natural world. And wisdom, this is what Sirach is all about, wisdom, and you start at the beginning. Wisdom presupposes that the creator has an intelligent design that pervades his creation and that his universe operates to a predictable moral order. It's, it's in, inbred, so to speak. It's designed into creation. And if you violate the moral order, things happen that aren't real pleasant. Now, I'm going to get right to the point. <laughs> that was a nervous laugh because uh, something that's so widely accepted by very good people is an utter disaster for youth, particularly Catholic youth. And I'm talking about the theory of theistic evolution. It's an utter disaster for Christian youth. Theistic evolution is evolution with an adjective just added on the front of it. And you'll find in many, many places that the theistic is just kind of slapped on and secular textbooks and a secular approach to evolution, which is everything got here by random chance. That is the dead opposite of intelligent design. 
and theistic evolution has been taught in Catholic schools since the 50s. Uh, it's taught in the most, conserv- most of the conservative dioceses in the country. Uh, it's taught by otherwise solid priests. Now, intelligent design was a well-intentioned stopgap. As Darwinian evolution was taking over things, uh, Christians, both Protestant and Catholic, came up with this theory of theistic evolution to try to counter Darwinian evolution. Uh, It it was a losing attempt, but it was a noble attempt because it was well-intentioned. But since the 1960s, (laughs) this is just so totally inadequate because you have things, and I'll be mentioning this in the next episode, but since the discovery of DNA, scientists, biologists, uh, all kinds of statisticians and mathematicians realize that in DNA there is information very sophisticated, extensive information that the probability of it happening by random chance is about the same probability as the most distant star in our universe making its way through the Milky Way and landing in your pool in your backyard. It's just statistically utterly improbable. And yet we're saying theistic improbability because there is no way DNA could have gotten here uh, by random chance. It just couldn't have. And I'll be sharing resources for this. So give me give me till the next episode before everyone descends, okay? Now, my passion in the 21st century, my passion for doing the Book of Sirach, and my passion for doing this episode on the Book of Sirach is primarily intended to stop the hemorrhage of Catholic youth from falling away from the faith. And the the religious phenomenon that's now being studied is is the phenomenon of nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Nuns, those under 35, at least most of them, and primarily this group was brought up in Christian churches and now say, what's their religious belief? None. What's their religious practice? None. Now, if you're driving in the car, parents, I ask you to pull over, and I'm very serious, and listen to what I have to say just for the next few minutes. There's a man by the name of Warner Wallace. I had an opportunity to meet him. He's an award-winning decorated cold case detective. He's the kind of detective that can look at the same evidence that other detectives has analyzed, but he can see something that they couldn't see to solve a crime or find a new evidence to join with that evidence so that cold cases are solved. Now, in 2018, there was a rather famous Pew survey on what causes religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, okay? And basically, the Pew survey asked a bunch of positions that churches take on social and political issues and, and uh, had the young people, you know, pick one, so to speak, or two. But now comes along the cold case detective, Warner Wallace. He is also a senior fellow at the Chuck Colson Center for Christian Worldview. 
Now, he felt it was very important because he has even, you know, how you interview people to get the facts, to get to the truth, to solve an unsolvable crime, okay? Okay, he says the nuns were not asked to describe in their own words what was the most important reason for not affiliating with a church, with a religion. And so he went back and found something that was extremely important. In other words, what did these same young people that have dropped out of Christianity, the nuns, and ask them why, in their own words, why they dropped out? And here's the type of things they said. Many said they had a crisis of faith. Others said, quote, learning about evolution when I went went away to college, unquote. Here's another one. Lack of any sort of scientific or specific evidence of a creator. Or rational thought makes religion go out the window. So if you want to stop the hemorrhage of young Catholics, believe me, we've tried theistic evolution since the 50s, and it's outdated, it's ineffective, and we're losing the majority of Catholic youth. This is fundamental to wisdom. This is what was used in the early Catholic Church, the wisdom of the Creator that has been poured out on all that he has made. Now, this is kind of a first, and thank you, Sirach. Uh, the Catholic Church, to its credit, is kind of a slow ship to turn directions on certain things, and for 99% of situations, that's a good thing. We don't need novelties all the time. But Sirach says in chapter 16 and verse 24, "'Listen to me, my son. Pay close attention to my words, and I will impart instruction by weight and declare knowledge accurately.'" What's he talking about? The works of the Lord have existed from the beginning of his creation. When he made them, he determined their divisions. He arranged his works in an eternal order. There's an order. There's a design. There's a pattern that God has placed in his creation. And parents are teaching this to their children. And the entire next episode, 100%, I'm going to give you practical, easy-to-use resources with your children and grandchildren to teach the wisdom of God as creator. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 338 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.